Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Adrian, thanks for hopping on, man. I appreciate it. I know how busy you and your staff have been over the course of the last few days in particular. Uh, But first and foremost, congratulations on your recent promotion and your new role within the organization. Oh, thank you so much. That's really, uh, really kind of you. I, uh, I really can't, I can't overstate how excited I am. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's really, it's really an interesting time and spot for, for the international operations for the Miami Marlins. So thank you for saying that. Yeah. Let, let me ask you this, Adrian, because I, I think, I don't know. I think when like you're little and growing up, if you can't play major league baseball, it's like, I want to be on that field though. I want to be in the dugout. I want to coach. I want to be a part of the major league staff. And then there's a whole different side of it, international operations, right, where people don't really understand much of it. But what is it that you love and most appeals to you about your job in this role? And really, you, you might not get that focus and attention that these guys are getting 162 times a year in the big leagues. Yeah, you know, uh, I guess if I mean, there's a lot there's a lot of ways I can answer that question. But I guess to, to boil it down or synthesize it best, it's the opportunity to give young 16, 17, 18 year old kids a chance to start their professional baseball careers and give them, uh, you know, give them a, an opportunity to develop as major league baseball players, or at least the chance to, and, or just professional baseball players and have them have that experience is, uh, is probably the most rewarding part of this whole thing. You know, especially, you know, some of the guys that get a lot of the notoriety are the, you know, Wander Franco who got, you know, over three and eight, $3.8 million. <laughs> and, you know, for us, Yudi Cafe, those guys are, they get the notoriety, right. But like, there's so many guys that are in that, you know, that don't get those kinds of bonuses and don't sign until they're 17, 18, you know, like, so to give those kinds of kids opportunities, that's probably the most exciting. And, you know, at at the end of the day, I I believe, and it's no disrespect to any other kind of scouting. To me, it's the purest kind of scouting. Mm. Like you're, these are 15, 16 year old kids. You need to make a call. You need to make a projection on what you think they're going to be. And so you have to like, you got to go back to the building blocks of scouting. So that's probably those two things are my favorite components of this this part of this job. All right, beautiful segue because last June the Marlins broke ground on the organization's new player development complex in the Dominican Republic. You, Adrian, obviously mm-hmm. have been very, very involved, but this is a massive mm-hmm. complex. It's a thirty-five acre piece of land. There's three big league fields. There's an administrative building. There's 120 beds. There's places for visiting teams to kind of be when they're there playing. Where where is this complex in relation to the one that you guys currently operate out of in the Dominican? Sure. So I would say it's about 20 minutes uh, east, maybe 15 to 20 minutes east, okay. depending on some traffic. So the the former academy is more in the Guerra. Uh, it's in the town of Guerra, uh, El Toro, which is just a little bit, uh, I guess, just a little bit west of where the majority of the academies are. So there's a pocket. Our new academy will be in Boca Chica. And it will be, I mean, we're sandwiched right between, we're right next to the Texas Rangers new complex. We're right across the street from the Cardinals and the Mets and down the street are the Yankees, the Rockies, the Giants, the Mariners. Um, So there's a little pocket there of, of academies uh, that are in like squarely in the Boca Chica, uh, the Boca Chica area. 
when you were so talk- that's where the new one will be right yeah. and, and when you were talking the other day maybe this is a stretch but I was I, I was listening to you and I wanted to ask you this with this new complex three fields two summer league teams you're mm-hmm. signing 60 kids or whatever it is mm-hmm. is it a stretch to say that this really when we look back 10 15 years from now this could be the beginning of a new era of Marlins baseball or is that unfair to say uh, look, I'm biased and I'm close to it. So I, I, I think so. Um, I, I would argue, I'd make an argument that that's, that it's begun to a certain extent. I think you're seeing, you know, guys like, you know, Mesa Jr. and Cape and Yuri Perez and Ian Lewis and Jose Salas. So I would say that those guys probably mark the, the start of it turning a little bit, but this will be, it, it's just hard to replicate this kind of injection into the system, like just from a pure volume standpoint. And then, you know, I feel strongly that the processes that we're applying and the scouting philosophies that we're applying to those, you know, 40 to, you know, 40 plus players that we're bringing into the organization, I think that the thresholds that we're making sure that these players are at uh, will ensure a caliber of player or should ensure a caliber of player that I think, I think we'll see, um, you'll see those guys start to show up in our system in short order, and especially with with the, the benefits of having a new academy down there that's that's top-notch and state-of-the-art. I, I think those all those things coming together uh, will make for a pretty special uh, pretty special time. So, yeah, I, would, uh, I don't think it would be unfair to say that this would mark like the beginning of a new era for Marlins international operations, for sure. And with this complex, on the administrative side, the scouting side, how much in terms of volume, how much staff have you now been able to add, how many additional resources to help this process? Sure. So I, I guess the, I can start with, with David Hernandez, you know, he's uh, David Hernandez Bain being the full name. I'm not sure. I, I think you might've met him come across me as working with the major league club, doing some video stuff on the major league staff this year. Um, he is my manager of uh, international uh, scouting. And so he's kind of handling a lot of our um, just a lot of our operations, logistics, a lot of our administration, a lot of contract submission, but he's also, uh, he's doing a whole lot of scouting for us. He oversees our weekly uh, academy tryout process uh, down in the Dominican Republic. So he's traveling there regularly. And this is, uh, I bring it up because it's a key part of what we're doing here. Every week, our scouts in the Dominican scour, you know, their areas, they each have their own respective areas. They scour the area. And then at the end of a week, we bring them all to a tryout on Fridays and then get a second look at them. And that's, you know, David runs that process for us. Uh, as well as just, you know, kind of helping with, with anything that's necessary. He's been uh, a tremendously impactful hire and a uh, tremendously impactful employee for us here. And then, uh, you know, most recently we hired uh, Romano Kumares as our director of international scouting. He was, mo- he was previously the Latin American scouting supervisor for the Houston Astros for quite a long time. Um, Roman is Dominican, born and raised in the Dominican, uh, played professional baseball, uh, has worked with the Indians, the Angels, and most recently the Astros with the Astros, I believe, for seven or eight years, uh, has even done some amateur area scouting in the U.S. Uh, for the Astros, um, was involved in a, re- a bunch of really interesting signings. I guess the one that we know about the most is uh, Brian De La Cruz mm. uh, was was an original Astro that he was that Roman was part of the scouting process with Enoli Paredes, Framber Valdez. You know, so it's it's quite a good list of guys that he's been involved with um, and he. You know, we, we had a, a, a pretty thorough interview process for this position because I felt strongly that it was important for us to have a leadership type of position in international scouting that was full-time based in the Dominican Republic. Because 
in my opinion, the majority of, of international scouting and international operations with player development happens in the Dominican Republic. So it was very important to me for us to have a boots on the grounds, you know, uh, top level evaluator that's part of the leadership group. So we're very, very lucky to have him on board and he's made the day one impact. And then we've, we hired also uh, two international cross checkers. Uh, one is uh, Manuel Padron, uh, who uh, we hired from the Toronto Blue Jays. He was most recently the Blue Jays area scout in South Florida. And he's now an international uh, cross-checker for us. Manny and I used to work together with the Red Sox. He was our coordinator of Venezuelan operations. Um, so every trip that I would make to Venezuela was in the car with Manny. Manny and I have spent countless hours in the car crossing all over Venezuela. So Manny is going to be heading up uh, our Venezuelan operations. You know, he'll be kind of our, our regional supervisor in the Venezuela area and and then we promoted Adrian Puig from Pro Scout to International Cross Checker. So he was working in our Pro Scouting department for the last couple of years. Before that, he was the area scout for the Marlins in South Florida. And he's coming on board to, to be a cross checker for us, just to be another level of upper level evaluation. And then we've added a few more area scouts, one in the Dominican Republic in the east, and then one in Venezuela out west. When you say you're adding all these people... Mm -hmm. That would seem to me like you weren't playing with a full deck of cards in recent years when maybe there's other organizations out there that are fielding a full complement of a scouting department. And there are people all areas of the globe, you know, South America, whatever you want to say. What challenges presented themselves in that regard and what doors now open when you just sit here and tell me all these different people that have been added, roles and responsibilities Mm -hmm. and what they're going to add to this organization? Yeah. Look, so at the end of the day, I think any international operation or any scouting operation, I think a domestic amateur scout would tell you, a pro scout, uh, pro scouting director would tell you that, you know, you're only as good as your scouts. So that's especially true in the international space because you're only, you as a decision maker are only as good as the the players that the area scout can present to you and can show you to evaluate. And that in the international space, that's very nuanced. They're so relationship-based. That's so, uh, you have to be, like very diligent every single day about, you know, going to all these different corners of your region to find players. Um, So when you're short staffed, you don't get the opportunity to see those players. Right. And I would say over the last, you know, in the past where we're dealing with a short deck, I guess relative to the rest of the industry, maybe at times, I think there was always the intention to grow to this point just for all sorts of different reasons that you know that have happened over the course of the last couple of years, that's right. just made itself difficult. Um, so all the COVID related difficulties that we've had stateside, I'd probably say that those have been multiplied or those were multiplied when you, when you scale it out to international. Um, so uh, we had some complications like growing the staff, but I think we're at a point now where uh, we're, the machine is moving and we're, we're, we're seeing players from all corners of the areas that we scout and, and then some. I want to go back to something you talked about a couple of minutes ago when you said weekly tryouts. Self-admittedly, I don't know enough about the international side, but it's always fascinated me where a 15-, 16-year-old kid becomes a big leaguer and people have never heard of him. There's weekly tryouts? Like, where do these kids come from on a weekly basis? I really – explain that to me. Yeah, so I'm going to be – I'm going to try to be as uh, limited as possible in describing it because I don't want to give away, you know, our our whole philosophy as to how we find players. Okay, right. Basically – but basically – so our area scouts, let's just take the job of an area scout on a, you know, he starts his week on a Monday, right, in his area. And so he's got to be in communication with multiple trainers and agents. And, and he's got to keep 
a list of the players that he's interested in seeing that week or seeing for the first time or seeing for a second or third time, hopefully. So, um, you know, the area scout will see a player of interest on Monday that he liked. And if that player is age eligible to enter the Dominican Academy, our Dominican Academy, um, then we will invite him to show up on Fridays to the Dominican Academy. Um, and then our whole scouting group is there, our whole area scouting group. Right now, it's only limited to the Dominican Republic. You can bring in players from other countries, but that's more, there's more uh, hoops that you have to jump through. And obviously with COVID protocols, it just mm. makes it a little more difficult. So that's been primarily in the Dominican Republic, although our Venezuelan scouts do their own version of it in Venezuela as well. Really? Um, but the, the, the main function for us or the main platform is, is the DR Academy. It's kind of why the new academy is so important, right? Because we operate, it's the center. It's like the heart of the department is the Dominican Academy. Hmm. And but back to the tryout. So on Fridays, we'll just have a group of, of pitchers and position players that are age eligible to enter the academy. And we will host a tryout. You know, they'll run 60s. They'll throw, they'll make their throws. They'll take infield outfield. They'll take BP. And then we'll go into a game setting. And it'll. it's just a good way to... Uh, evaluate a larger group of players with all of our scouts there. And it's a good opportunity for, you know, myself, for, for Roman Okumares, for the cross checkers, for David to have like a weekly, you know, we can set a trip every week to be at the Academy on Friday and feel like we're seeing every, all the work that was done the week prior. Interesting. And it, then, yeah, it, it's a big part of our decision-making process. The area scouts, this is where I've always felt mm -hmm. a little ignorant, but I've yeah. always wanted to ask this. When these guys are going to find 15, 16-year-old kids, age-eligible kids to sign. Yeah. Are they going to local parks? Is it all like organized baseball? Because, you know, you hear the stories like, you know, this guy, he was flicking bottle caps in a back alley in the Dominican and hitting with yep. – you know, like, you hear that stuff, but how do you find kids? Yeah, so I'd say uh, those kinds of stories, you hear them too. I'd say – that's not giving enough credit to the Dominican baseball infrastructure that's okay. currently in place. Um, it, it's a lot more organized, even without having the types of facilities. So I think it's, it depends, right? There are higher profile agents and trainers who have the resources to have their own large scale academies. You know, oh. there are some trainers in both the Dominican and Venezuela that have full blown academies with dorms and like, it's really professionally run shop. Mm. And then there are other guys, smaller time or smaller, um, programs that don't have those kinds of resources and are closer to what you're talking about. The fields that they're playing on are really limited. The, the baseballs, the equipment, it's all a little uh, of, of a lower caliber, but at the same time, it's the job of the area scout to scout both of those kinds of programs. So he's got to go, he's got to be networking with all the trainers in his area to make sure that he's seeing or being given, being given the opportunity to see, you know, all sorts of players, um, and it, it comes down to the area scout, you know, being diligent and uh, exhaustive with his search and, and or his desire to find players. And that's how they that's how they end up with the players that they see. But they're out there every single day scouting. You always hear those stories like, oh, we, there was yeah. this outfield kid X, Y and Z years ago. And some guy came up to him, and said, have you ever thought about pitching? And, you know, he gets on the mound. Yeah. He's like 94 with a change. Oh, well, you know, yeah. whatever. Anyways. The Dominican Academy. That's true, though. Right. That's true. And our, our scouts are trained to, you know, if you identify, let's say, a, an outfielder with a really good arm, and let's say the bat isn't up to the standard just yet, you know, it, there, it takes some conversation and convincing to see, like, hey, have you ever tried throwing off a mound? 
So our scouts are very much trained to see, you know, identify conversion candidates like that, not just as pitchers, but, you know, maybe infielders that could be catchers or infielders that should be outfielders, things like that. So, yeah. I want to get back to the academy because I've got more questions yeah. I've always just wanted answered. And sure. now, uh, now I've, I'm holding you hostage, Adrian. But uh, the new academy. Fire away. You've yeah. got like 120 beds, mm-hmm. 120 kids in the academy, roughly speaking. Mm-hmm. I guess question one, how much turnover is there? Like I know a kid has a tryout, but once you're like mm-hmm. – you're living here now. Like, how long are they there? Do kids just decide, like, nah, I don't feel like playing baseball anymore? Are they on one-year deals? How does this work? Right. So um, I guess there's two different categorizations of players that could be housed in the academy. One is a tryout player who is not signed with an organization yet, okay. and he has a limited number of days, depending on when his birth date is, to be able to be housed in our academy. And now with COVID protocols, there's all sorts of quarantining regulations that you have to abide by before he can stay in your academy. Um, So there's a tryout player who isn't part of your organization yet. And then there are are signed players that are signed contractually, uh, you know, similar to when a player gets drafted in in the amateur draft. And he's, you know, he signs a six-year minor league contract with your organization. Um, So that I guess there's a distinction between the two players that could be at your academy. Uh, The majority of the players that will be there are our own already Marlins, you know, official Marlins that have signed contracts and the majority of the beds will go to those. But there will be a section of our academy that is designated for tryout players specifically so that we could have guys, you know, not just have to show up and leave the same day, but potentially stay at the academy and be evaluated over a longer period of time or fly in from Curacao or Bahamas or Venezuela to be evaluated in our Dominican complex. Now talk to me about turnover rate. That's probably, you know, yeah. that's probably a little unfair because it's, it, it's different. Yeah. I mean, a 16 year old kid, I've always been like a six, when I was 16, I didn't know what I was doing on a daily basis. And these kids are attempting, they want to at the time devote their lives to it. How often do you see a kid that has a lot of promise? They just, one day they're like, Eh, I'm kind of like done with baseball. I'm going to go home and go to college. Yeah. How does that work? So I'd say I'd say it's probably a little more common in the in the U.S. Oh. or or from countries of of with some degree of uh, alter other options, you know, mm-hmm. other other financial options to to be able to like you know make make your living. Um, you know, that's not to slight you know the U.S. players or any other country in any way. I would just say that's true though. In my experience, yeah, in my experience, it's been like this is such a way of life and it's such a method of of livelihood. I'm not seeing the kind of turnover in terms of just stepping away from the game because it's there for a lot of these kids, it's their opportunity to make something for themselves and make a living for their families. Mm -hmm. So they, they stick it out basically until the jerseys ripped off their back. Now there's exceptions and, and guys that, you know, just make their own personal decisions as to when or whether or not they're done. But in terms of, uh, of turnover rate uh, I would say it's, it's each it's case by case. The most recent international signing class, upwards of how many guys roughly? Tell me again. Well, so, you know, the international signing class, it's, it's, it's become like, you know, it's, it's very different than draft day, for example, right? Where it's one day where you select your players and you know where you're getting. Um, The international signing period opened this past Saturday. So, you know, traditionally you sign all the players that you've had process on and you've had, you've gathered documentation and that are ready to be signed on that day. They sign on that day. But th- this period, this signing period doesn't end until next December 15th. Oh, so like, okay. really, we're going to be signing players all the way through. So I can tell you, you know, it's close to 40 players that we officially signed uh, that signed contracts on Saturday. But there's probably another 
five to six that are in their documentation process. And then, you know, we'll still have, you know, an amount in our bonus pool to continue finding and signing players that are eligible for the 2021 signing period. Um, so that, that, I mean, this class could grow, I don't know, it could, we could reach 50, 55 players by, by the time it's all said and done in December. And some of these guys have multi-year deals and other might just have a one-year deal. No, no. For the most part, they all sign this, the same, uh, the same contracts, the same minor league contracts that a drafted player would sign. Oh. Just you, you negotiate a bonus with them. They receive their signing bonus. Um, so similar in, in the draft. And then they're part of your system for, you know, a determined amount of time. Gotcha. Uh, the but they all sign the same contracts. Mm, gotcha. Okay, very good. Uh, the Dominican Republic, a big hotbed, and it's really kind of the hub for your international operations. Venezuela, Colombia, right. I mean, the, the places we routinely hear about, superstar sure. players come out of. You guys have started to tap into the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. I don't hear much of that mo- with 29 other teams, I'm sure they're there. I'm sure you're not the only ones, you know, that you're the only ones allowed on, on the island here. Right. Um, what's going on there in the Bahamas with baseball? You're seeing some talent come out of there. And 10, 15 years ago, it's not a place you'd go, well, that I was aware of, you'd watch baseball. Yeah, I think it's it's something that's come late, but it's come strong. You know, it's come recently, but it's come really strong. I think, look, I think a lot of this is, is tied to economics, right? Like, um, in the Bahamas, like the Bahamas are pretty famous. They have a good track record of, of athletes, right? Like their, their, their Olympic, their Olympic sports have been, have, have been really strong for quite a bit of time. Their basketball, there's basketball players, you know, DeAndre Ayton. Uh, there's quite a few players that have come out uh, of the Bahamas. So there's a lot of like really interesting athletic ability on that Island. I think more recently it's been funneled toward baseball and I want to say that that trend started, and I go back to the economics point, that that trend started with, with Lucius Fox, probably, uh, okay. who, who signed, actually who signed in the same, uh, was participating in the same workout as Jazz Chisholm. Um, there's videos of both of them on that same field. And Lucius Fox got a very large uh, signing bonus at the time. Uh, and I think it sparked the, the concept that this could be a way for Bahamian, young Bahamian kids to, you know, make some money and, and or make baseball a, a career and a financially viable career. And I think once the economics were in place, then I, th- and then you started to see the infrastructure, more programs that train players and kids playing baseball at earlier ages, and then actually getting, you know, development with the intention of signing professional contracts. And I think we're now seeing a lot of the fruits of that, right? Like, so after, after Lucius Fox and, and Jazz Chisholm, you know, guys like Christian Robinson, um, most recently, you know, Ian Lewis, uh, Tanash Thomas with the Pirates right now. Like, right. it's starting to pick up, and it's picking up quick. And I think, you know, I'm seeing more players now, now playing baseball in the Bahamas than I did when I was working for the Red Sox, you know, four years ago when I first started going down there. So it, it's it's growing, and it's growing fast. Now, another place I want to ask you about, because yeah. I've always wondered if it's a different ball game, the Japanese mm-hmm. system for young kids. Does their international signing period you know, so you're you're currently in the international signing period. I get that. Could you yes. jet set across mm-hmm. the globe and find a 16-year-old Japanese player that you really like and sign him or is that whole like posting thing different? I kind of understand that, but like are you guys over in that territory? I mean, obviously there's some great talent over there. 
we're mindful of it. We keep a watchful eye on any any amateur player that's outside the, the U.S. domestic uh, sphere as, as part of our responsibility. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I, I guess what I'd say, it, it's, it's quite different because the NPB and the KBO, they have their own draft. You know, they have their own uh, development systems. They have their own um, processes that highly incentivize those players to to stay in those countries and play in those professional leagues. And that's why I think the majority of the players that you see that that end up coming over, they come over after quite a bit of time spent um, in their respective leagues. You know, they, they meet the, the minimum requirements to be able to be eligible to, to be posted or to, to come over. There are some, um, some examples. I remember, I think Junichi Tazawa was play, like was, was signed as an amateur earlier. Oh. Um, you know, there, there, there's some uh, exceptions, but for the most part, I think there's a reason you don't see as many, um, Japanese players specifically, I think it's a little more common with the Korean players. And I think even more common with the Taiwanese players. Um, but there are, you know, not just distance obstacles in, in order to be able to, to sign and, and acquire those players, but there are their individual leagues incentivize them to stay. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think I agree with that. I think it's, it's good for their, those individual countries to be able to watch their own guys play in their own leagues. So it's just, a, you know, not impossible. Uh, just, just more, more nuanced uh, process to to bring those players on board. Gotcha, uh, Adrian. I'm career cool. scouting them. <laughs> yeah, I told you ten to fifteen minutes. We're at twenty five, but oh, I want no. I want to ask you. I one can talk more. about this all day. I, guys. Yeah, I, I love it. You know, because <laughs> you, you see, like these kids just kind of, you know, you, people don't really understand this side of it. I think you know we're all obsessed, yeah. myself included. Like I'm not always paying attention to what's happening in single A. Who's looking yeah. at the box scores from the Dominican Summer Leagues every day, right? You want to know what the heck the big league team did and if you're going to make the playoffs or not and yeah. what we got to do. This is more personal, but you're in a high-leverage situation where you are responsible. Obviously, you have a big staff, but developing, signing, and bringing to Miami talented Major League ball players. How personal do you take it when kids don't pan out that you guys were super <laughs> high on? Uh, extremely personal to the point that you don't, you know, you lose sleep over it, Really, you know, down to the, down to the, you know, $10,000 player that you felt high conviction that was going to be and perform a certain way. And for one reason or another, doesn't you take it, you, you take it really, uh, at least I do. I take it really personally. Maybe I, maybe I need to find a better balance just to not be so affected by it, but you know, you put your, you put all this time and effort and you just want it to go well, not just because it's a player you signed, but you want it to go well for the kid, you know, right. and you want it to go well for the player so that he's able to make something of himself and, and provide for his family, buy his mom a house. Like, so when they don't perform, you, you feel it extra tough uh, first, you know, first and foremost because of the kid, but also because you probably at one point, you know, said with high conviction, this guy is, has a good chance of being X and he's not performing like, you know, like you would ideally want, but then I'll tell you, I'll give you an example of the other end where, when they overperform, it's the best feeling ever, you know, when they're performing and, and, you know, they're, they, they put themselves on prospect lists or other teams ask for them in trades. Like, you know, it's, it's a good feeling to know that, you know, the Miami Marlins were the team that gave them the opportunity for them to become that. So there's, 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 there's a little bit of both there too. As a staff though, when somebody Mm -hmm. doesn't pan out, is, Mm -hmm. is there a general message? Like when, 25 a year in a zoom meeting like let's keep going boys because you know that sucked but we got to keep going you know we are responsible at the lowest level of this thing 
for producing yeah. these kids and taking them to Miami. Yeah, I would say there's definitely a an acknowledgement of okay, let's let's assess here. You know, mm. this is why we thought this at this time. Maybe at that time it was the right. All the all the thinking was right. But what you know, scaling it back now, playing a little Monday morning quarterback. Like what, you know, what did we miss in the process? What wasn't efficient enough? What didn't we know enough about this player that could have maybe, that could maybe guide us to a better decision in a similar situation in the future? Um, sometimes you do everything right and, and, or you think you do everything right and things just don't pan out. It happens in every sport, I think. Um, but there's definitely uh, something to be learned from each of those examples, as well as the, like I told you, the other examples when it goes right, you know, when it goes well. You know, what were the markers to try to keep replicating uh, to make sure that you, you put yourself in a good spot to, you know, have better outcomes like like those moving forward. But um, definitely, you know, when, when things don't pan out the way you hoped for, there you do a, a little bit of an autopsy, at least we do, as to, okay, what, what did we miss here? All right, one more, seriously. I'd be remiss not to ask sure. the following because I see sure. people can't see this, but we're on Zoom and you've got a yeah. beautiful blueprint of the new facility. Um, yep. Folks think three big league fields and the boys are out there all day long getting after it down to the nitty gritty. Um, but the development side of things where it's teaching a young player English on the mm-hmm. other side, teaching kids here now Spanish, like what goes in behind the scenes to actually make them fully this is like functional baseball players, but great humans that mm-hmm. like they're going to school there, right? Kind of. Within reason? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. With the intention of getting high school degrees. Oh. And that's honestly, it's the thing I'd probably say I'm, I'm the most proud of, you know, and most happy to say or proud to say that I'm a Marlin because of the emphasis. And this starts with Derek and, and Gary Denbo and Kim and, and the whole group. Like there is such a commitment to the off the field components of this or well, not really only off the field, right? Like education you know, is such a focal point here for us that because it not only applies to the off their off the field life, you know, but also to their on the field, you know, ability to develop and, and, and develop their aptitude and, and help them become major league players, but you know, not all of them will. So I think that, um, I think that what I'm most proud of is, is the, the dedication that and the financial resources that we've put behind education and it's that, yeah, they will all be, uh, put through like a very stringent education program. Our education people are outstanding. Their attention to detail, their passion for these kids learning. I mean, these kids, you know, these teachers, these educators become so close to these players because they're in that environment with them every day. Some of our teachers know our players better than, than most, you know, than some of our staff because of how much time they spend in these very interesting learning uh settings and so our academy is built with you know if and when you go down there you'll see that there are large classrooms large computer labs Mm. and every you know that that there's there's this one area that's i guess we call it spanish steps it's kind of like uh it's kind of like an amphitheater but it's outdoor it's covered but it's outdoor and we'll host a lot of you know educational um events there uh, so they'll, they'll, there's very much an education focus in this. And it's something I'm really, really proud of because I think we're, we're at least giving a lot of our players that don't end up, you know, playing in the major leagues, a chance to go and pursue, you know, other, other career options, whether that's in baseball or not. 
Yeah, man, I think you're giving them a chance to be successful humans. I'm sure there's two or three kids yeah. maybe down the road that come out of there and end up in the big leagues or whatever. But, okay, seriously, Adrian, I'm done now, man. Congratulations to you um, on you. all of your successes. I know you guys work extremely hard. A lot of it's behind the scenes, and people don't see the fruits of your labor for six, seven, eight, ten years sometimes. So um, thanks, man. Uh, I'll see you in Jupiter here hopefully four, six weeks or so. Awesome. This was fun. Thanks, Kyle.